All that stuff keeps me coming back. Those 10, 10 to 20 seconds, those are awesome 10 to 20 seconds. But it's the whole piece. It can't be just about the beards and the tail fans and the mounts and the pictures. It, to me, it's about getting out there and capturing it. If my, if my spread brings them in close, it was worth doing. Worth doing. <laughs>
they are just a miss. They continue to be 36 years now. They continue to be a mystery to me and how well they can pinpoint sound, how well they can see, how little they will tolerate if you mess up. Um, but those 10 or 20 seconds, whether you shoot the bird or the bird gets away or you almost get to shoot or all the stories that it generates, it's those 10 or 20 seconds. And they just, you know, you're driving down the road and you're thinking about those 10 or 20 seconds when he was in your decoys and, and, and he was so close. Uh, in the beginning, I hunted mostly woods turkeys, uh, turkeys on forest service land. And most of the most of the ridges had roads that ran around the, the, the ridges uh, log roads and things like that. I would move, I would call, I would get some something to answer me and I would back up past the curve to where a lot of times the bird would just come into view, he'd be in range. And it was just fascinating to me how close uh, they would come. And, and, and again, being close was always part of it. Um, their senses and how they could pinpoint sound from way over somewhere on a ridge and you make a call and you don't even, he, you didn't hear him answer you but you come back through there and he's standing where you made the call. Um, somewhere along my way, when I was young, I discovered decoys. And of course, you know, the decoys I probably discovered were made out of foam and they look, they look terrible. Um, I discovered how to hunt out of a blind, which is something I still do today. Uh, the one thing I think was a lot of fun was I messed up every way possible that a young turkey hunter could, could mess up. I scared more birds than I probably killed. I even, I even did something crazy for people around me. I, I tried to bow hunt turkeys and people thought I was nuts and, and they laughed at me and they should have because they, they should have seen the first 10 or 15 times. But bow hunting turkeys really made me a better turkey hunter because of what they would, what they would allow you to get away with. And somewhere pretty early, right after you guys got going, I bought a DSD hen and she was more of a hard plastic kind than, than what you have now. And I saw my first balancing act. Um, and once you've seen that balancing act, um, you're hooked. And I've seen a hundred or so balancing acts since where the turkey gets up on her back and is just convinced she's a real turkey. And, and as they say, the rest is history. And I, I really, really love hunting with the decoy, I, I, especially taking new people. Um, it's just so, so much more fun if they can enjoy the 10 or 20 seconds because the birds that come in or bird that comes in is just completely fooled. And I just, I took my nephew for opening, opening weekend just to watch his face when three gobblers came in the decoys and got up against the Jake and got up against the hens. And he asked me if he should shoot one. And I said, well, that's why we're here. And, uh, and he did. And, and, you know, it, it's just, it's just so much fun. Um, being in Kentucky, we have a, a, a really healthy turkey flock. Uh, March, when I do most of my scouting, is a great time to be in the woods in Kentucky. Um, you try to locate as many birds as you can. Uh, you're allowed two in the spring, so you try to locate a lot. I love to hear the, the school buses beeping as they back up to unload kids, especially since I'm not having to go up and be a principal or superintendent anymore with those kids. But listen to those birds gobble and listen to those school buses back up. It's a neat time to be to be in Kentucky. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, I, lo I love that 10 or 20 second scenario that, you know, there's so many things in hunting and fishing where, you know, that's what that's really what we're trying for. And, and the, the thing about that 10 or 20 seconds when it does happen, I mean, it can just turn on a dime, it just it just comes out of nowhere. That's times when things just seem totally hopeless. And all of a sudden it, it happens. And that 10 or 20 seconds, the beauty of it is it gets 
permanently ingrained in your in your memory and then you've got that with you for for life it doesn't matter if you got you could could be thrown in a turkish prison and you still got that that's exactly right no i love it i i I, just so many of those situations where uh so many turkey scenarios you know all these years and I, i i'm not i'm not good at anything i'm not a good caller i can call uh, but but I've I've learned where to put the blind. You know, I, I think when, when I first sent you guys the idea, becoming a hunter, becoming an outdoorsman, I like to call it a sportsman because a sportsman to me is a guy that doesn't go in if a truck's already at the gate. He doesn't try to mess up somebody else. He respects the landowner. He respects the game. Uh, I think we push that in this state, and I think that's that's something to keep our sport healthy. And I think the lack of it will really hurt us. But when you're talking to somebody that's brand new. I think about the people that invested in me. Now, my my freshman science teacher was Charlie Guffey. Charlie Guffey is without a, without a doubt, I think one of the best outdoorsmen that I've ever had the you know opportunity to know. He, he he could do it all. Best fisherman I've ever seen. He's a great turkey hunter. He's a great duck hunter. We duck hunt together. We duck hunt together since I was fourteen. He for whatever reason he took me duck hunting when I was fourteen, and it just absolutely changed. Uh, some, how I saw the, the outdoor world. I was already so crazy about biology and I was a biology teacher before I was a principal or a superintendent. But, you know, new hunters are all over the place and they, they're they thirsty for, for knowledge. And, you know, if we don't help them grow, they're not going to grow the right direction. They're going to do what so much of the world says and they're going to take the wrong path. But to be a sportsman, it's going to take people that love the sport, love the game, love the love the game animal, and, and try to help some of these new guys. And that's, I do some of that with waterfowl hunting, with ducks and snow geese and things like that. But with turkeys, you just have so many opportunities. There's a, there's a young man in my community that works for our utility company, and he's probably the best turkey hunter I know. He's, he's only a state or two away from killing a turkey in every state. And I, I mean, he's just like, he's just death on a stick, man, when it comes to a turkey. He's just really, really good. But I watched him grow up. And I watched him display uh, humility and ethics and all those things you look for in, in a young hunter. And now he's one of the best there is. And people people contact him from all over because uh, he knows how. Um, I think the opportunity to connect with people like DSD that have a real interest in the sport, make it really, really professional and positive. You, you know, you, you guys didn't know me from anybody and your customer service with me that on that on that decoy, Dave, when I. When I sent her back to you, oh Jezebel, she she'd been through the ringer a time or two, and you wanted to replace her, but you finally agreed to glue her head back on for me. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was hooked, man. I uh, I've got a bunch of your stuff, and uh, I love to talk about you know turkey scenarios because as I've gotten older, I'm 58 now. I, I do a lot more of the sedentary type turkey hunting instead of the running and gunning. Um, probably because I don't want to get down because I might not get back up as easy. But, you know, there's so much talk out there about about the art of hunting and how to hunt. There's so much energy right now about how far away you can shoot a gobbler. And then, of course, no one contemplates that that means that some people are going to take some shots. They probably shouldn't. So I go back to my 10 or 20 seconds. The whole reason that I wanted to do this, like you said, for that image burned in your brain, is because it's so much fun when they're up close, you can see them blink. You can hear them breathe. You can see their 
their, their, their waddle shake when they, when they get excited close to your decoys. To me, that's what you want young people to understand that this is right outside their door. If they'll put the hard work in, they too can experience that 10 to 20 seconds. Yeah. It, it's all about closing the deal, you know, sealing the deal. I guess you could say it's one thing to call them into, you know, um, 40 yards and and shoot a bird who's got his head up and he's looking around searching for that hen but it's a whole nother thing bringing him in you know 10 15 steps away from you to where you're literally so scared you know i've i've had times where like i'll shut my eyes because i'm afraid the bird can see my eyeballs <laughs> and, yeah. and there's nothing can. there's nothing like that rush and in getting back to that 10 to 20 seconds um you know when when it's over and I'm reflecting on the chase, a lot of times um, it, it blows my mind how often I, I feel like a bird is unkillable. And, and you know, um, it, a lot of times I'll hunt a bird six, seven, eight times before I can finally seal the deal. And oftentimes I can't get him in close enough to see my decoys, but they always seem like they're unkillable. And you kind of, question yourself all the time should i really be chasing this bird and when he does get to a point where there's a clear path between him and the decoys is he really going to am i going to really be able to fool him with you know these plastic imposters and it's just so special when that happens Absolutely. and it means so much you know and it's cool you know to go out and and hunt a new property or you set up on a bird that you just found and kill him the first time out but i think secretly a lot of us really you know, would rather do it um, having invested some time into that bird. Absolutely. I, I have three right now that are all three mature birds. Uh, they had eight hens with them. And then the other day they had four hens with them. And I'm hoping later this week they have no hens with them. But uh, that may not happen. Um, I've been close twice to them. No shot. Uh, I killed a really nice bird opening weekend right after my nephew killed his. My nephew, I referred to. Um, it's just something, having some that you recognize even again. And sometimes you don't get that. In, in my part of the world, there's a lot of turkey hunters. And a lot of people can rattle a bird if they, if they don't kill them. Uh, they, they quickly change their behavior after the first week of season. It's pretty obvious. I, I think that's true for just about anywhere turkeys are. Um, but you know... When, when it's right and he, he'll cooperate and you know he's coming and he acts like he's feeding, but he's really not because he's really on his way and he looks up at you and he goes back to feeding like he's not, he's really not coming, but, but he is coming. And before you know it, he's there and he's in range, he gets there. It is, it is just so cool when they do get in the decoys to see whether, uh, if it's a mature bird or whether it's a jake, whether he goes straight to the jake or whether he goes to one of the hens like I said about the about the ride that, that you see the balancing act, um, just the way that they 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 never seem to surprise me, or they always seem to surprise me in what they'll do if they don't rush in, if they take their time. Um, I, I know this is going to sound strange, but I I never set up the same kind of decoys if I go back to the same field. I don't know you guys know a lot more about it than me probably, but I. I don't know that the walnut-sized brain can tell that those are the same decoys it saw last month, but uh, I try to change something every time. If I'm if I'm using a Jake Strutter early or not, if I'm going just to the three-quarter Jake and some hens. Um, but I will say this: 
long, long ago, I, I took that fishing line and those anchors and I, I, I made my decoys move. And I was bow hunting a lot then. And I was just hooked on it because I would set the, the, the Jake decoy out at about 12 or 13 yards. And when you'd make that sucker move and there would be two gobblers standing in a gate from 200 yards and they couldn't wait to run over each other to get there. If, if that show doesn't do something for you as a, as a sportsman, I, I would say there's few things on this planet that will. It is just unbelievable when you just hopelessly and, and just you fool them. The, the most cautious bird in the woods and he's on the run coming to your spread. Yeah, yeah. motion motion is killer. And um, backing up just a little bit to the question you asked about using different different setups on the same property, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, if the birds were able to see my my setup, um, yeah, I I definitely switch to other decoys, especially if you know I had a really close encounter and and you know I've even had. Um, you know, maybe two gobblers on the same property and called them in and been fortunate enough to maybe kill one with my bow and then come back later in the season. And I always really change things up, you know, at that point. Um, you know, again, I don't know if our turkey's able to recognize, um, you know, the different poses. I certainly believe that they're able to um, recognize one another you know, tell, tell each other Agreed. apart. And I, mm -hmm. and I think that one of the, one of the attractions of a realistic decoy is that the birds are able to recognize that the decoy is a stranger. Right. Yep. And turkeys do yeah. have, they do have, um, a decree, a degree of curiosity to them, you know, um, not just it, it, sure they're, they're territorial also. And when they see a stranger, especially a, a dominant gobbler, he, he, his instincts are to draw, or to, to drive that bird away. Um, but I also think that there's, there's definitely a curiosity, um, factor to that as well. And, you know, you see a lot of times hens will wander into your decoys and they're not necessarily doing it in an aggressive manner, but just more of like a social manner. Um, and even, even young jakes and young gobblers that, you know, don't necessarily engage the decoys directly. Don't try to you know, mount your hen decoy or fight your Jake decoy, but, um, there's, there's certainly some, some form of an attraction there. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, their, their natural curiosity. And of course they have to, they have to believe that your decoys are, are, um, are the real, real deal and, uh, and that they're comfortable and not alert. But, um, I think they are drawn in by their curiosity as well. I had a hen come in the spread and just spend probably an hour and a half with me last year. She ended up laying on her on her belly and just she just kind of hung out. And before I knew it, there was a Jake, and then there was another Jake, and then there was a gobbler. And so I, I credit the fact that she was comfortable in that spread and a lot more comfortable than the gobbler ended up, uh, because she thought everything was was okay. Um I, I do think that that it's so important if if we're gonna go back to the the, the season of, of this world that we're in with COVID, this is really the second spring here in Kentucky that I would say was affected by, uh, by the virus and how it changed everybody. But there's just been so much interest, especially here on social media. And there's so many Facebook pages for, for turkey hunters and things and so many questions. And I, I try to look through them a lot. I don't always comment much, but um, it, it's amazing to me how much interest there is 
And, you know, if, if you really think about it, there's so much communication about the gun or the bow you're going to use, the blinds you're going to use, especially lots of talk about calls. But when it gets down to it, trying to get the birds in range and using a decoy. And I know there's people that say, hey, they never use decoys. But I would say, you know, what, what's, what's, what's fun about that? I, I've done that before, you know, where you, you're open woods and it's just you and a cushion and two calls and a gun. And that's fun. But nothing compared to uh, bringing birds in close and, and so on. Uh, I guess for, for, the, for the people that are just getting started, you know, there's a lot of decoys to choose from. The one thing I can say, and I don't know how old Jezebel is, but she's so old she doesn't go out anymore. The thing about it is that mine don't look much different than when I started. And I've shot, I've shot the Jake several times with an arrow because the bird that I shot was standing in front of it and it went through the bird and into the, to the decoy. I've heard some of your guests talk about that too. I can't find the hole right now. So, you know, it, it, it does self-heal. Um, the quality of what, what you get uh, is really, really good. And, and, you know, there's, there's certain things each year, I guess you do You guys probably like some other recreation. I, I, I listen to your snow goose shows about how you selectively shoot certain snows and I'm jealous. Um, I'm just happy to get snows in. <laughs> um, but you know, there's some, there's a gift you give yourself if you're going to be an outdoorsman. It's that to me, the ultimate for me is that, that time you fold a mature Turkey in the woods, whether and I don't care what state you're in or, or where you're hunting or how you're hunting, that's a gift you give yourself. And as Dave said, you take that with you everywhere you go. I, I think about birds that got away. I think about birds that I put over my shoulder. I think about, uh, I have a great story. I, I took a, I took an older gentleman who had never killed a turkey and we went and I was tagged out and, and luck as it would have it, it was trying to start raining and he wasn't real mobile and, and, he shot his first turkey and I bounded out of that blind to grab that bird and had about a 10 inch beard. And when I got back to the blind, he's in his seventies and he's crying. He is, he is tears coming down his face. And I said, are you okay? I thought he was hurt. And he said, I'm just so happy. I've been trying to do this for so long. <laughs> and you know, to me that that's gotta be what it's about. That's just gotta yeah, be what yeah. it's about. You know, Tommy, we we have a we have a friend, a guy that we we don't know him all that well or whatever, but he's a he's a good guy and uh, he's a call maker, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. he he is one hundred percent convinced that decoys uh, scare just scare birds away that they they avoid them, and he's never killed one over a decoy, and he he'll go on publicly and just advise people that don't buy. Don't buy decoys. Don't use decoys. They just don't work. And I mean, what 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 would you say to somebody like that? Well, I, I would say this. I've I, I played that running gun game before, and it, it's fun. You lose a lot. I, I, I don't know how that, you know, the 75 or 100 that I've watched die over good decoys that moved. I I, I just, my field experience says, says something else. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I wonder, especially with a bow, how many shot opportunities I would have never achieved if it had been for those decoys. Um, I think it's not only making sure that your decoy is in the right place, but making sure that it's visible. And, you know, I was just thinking the other day, and I was telling my nephew, and I hunted opening weekend, the bird I killed in the afternoon, if I hadn't had a decoy out, I was, you know, I, I, li- I listened to your podcast, so I, I'm kind of like, uh, Richard was talking about just soft calling every so many minutes. 
trust in the fact that you're with trust in your equipment. The, the bird that we actually end up killing in the afternoon came around, saw the decoys, but was chased out of the field by another gobbler. My nephew just was so disappointed. And I just kind of jokingly said, now, don't be surprised if one of those birds shows up quiet and comes right up to the decoys. And I'm going to tell you what, Dave, 39 minutes later, here he came, didn't make a sound. He was he ran into the spread. And the first thing he did was pat, pat. He, he hit he hit my jet decoy with his with his spurs and I killed him. So um, the decoy itself drew that gobbler to the place where he met his demise. Yes, the calling brought him close, but it was the decoy that absolutely positively fooled him into thinking that another Jake had slipped into his area and he wasn't going to have it. Right on. So, so, and then Brad, while we got you on here, what, what would you say to, to, what would you say about uh, decoying or someone that just insists that, 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 you know, decoys just don't work? Um, there's, there's just, there's something that they're not doing right um, is, is the bottom line. Because in my experience in all the different places I've, I've hunted, um, I, I have, I've been able to get decoys to work and I am not the greatest turkey hunter by far, um, but I'm able to make up for a lot of that in, in um, how much time I put into scouting my location, you know, first, first and foremost, the best decoys in the world don't do you any good if you're not in the right location. Right. And that has every bit as much to do with being where the turkeys are at the right time. You can't just find birds in location X at, you know, in the morning and expect that they're necessarily going to be back out there in the afternoon. Patterning turkeys is extremely important. And that's one of the things I think I do that really makes up a lot for my lack of calling ability. Um, I'm a very, very mediocre caller, but um, I put a lot of time into scouting. I scout, boy, five, maybe 10 times as much, as many hours spent scouting as I do actually, you know, in the blind. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I have a pretty good idea what time the birds will arrive and where, and that's every bit as important as being able to, you know, um, be a great caller, for example. So, um, decoys, why do I use decoys? Because it's more exciting to use decoys than to not. And because they make me a better hunter for sure. And, right and to the individual who we're, we're talking about, um, I'm very familiar with the area that, that he hunts. And one thing I will say is it's different. Um, you're hunting really wary mountain birds, everything out there from cougars to wolves to, you know, foxes and, and coyotes is out to, is out to get them. Um, and for whatever reason, I have had much better luck decoying birds right off of the roost it's it's different than than hunting here on the west side of the state you know in a more highly populated area in in a lot of other different parts of the country where you know i've been able to, to decoy birds effectively all day long um but over east they're they're more talkative first thing in the morning right off the roost and then again in the last hour or so before they fly up and those are by far the best opportunities to to decoy birds over there and i can't tell you why 
but that's been my experience. And so I kind of put all my, you know, um, my effort into hunting them first thing in the morning off of the roost. And then, and then, um, if I'm going to do an evening setup, I'll do that. But most of the time I'm actually out trying to, trying to roost a bird so that I can set up on them first thing in the morning. Right on. Awesome. Awesome. I, I haven't killed a bird in the morning this year. I haven't killed a bird before three o'clock this year. How about that? Well, that's awesome. Then you can sleep in a lot. <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm <laughs> up anyway. <laughs> I'm up anyway, but I'm just saying, uh, you said it was more fun and exciting. Exactly. But I, I'd like to say, you know, the turkey hunters that I actually will talk to, because, you know, turkey hunters are funny. We don't talk as much during turkey season, especially about turkeys or where or water details. We become monks and hermits, I guess. But um, the guys I talk to, they kill a lot of birds in the middle of the day in the afternoon because they have a good decoy, a good location, and they're patient. And that, you know, we started talking about the new people. Uh, there's a great deal of difference between human time and turkey time. Turkeys have no rush. And while they may move all day in some form, um, I watched a bunch of dust the other day. They, they had a big time dusting up, getting all the bugs and stuff. They, uh, they were on turkey time. If you were trying to do something with that group of young gobblers, you would have taken a long time to do something about it. A lot of young people that are starting into the sport really need to understand the value of patience and that 15 more minutes may be all it takes. And don't be in such a rush to change locations. Um, that gobbler you heard 45 minutes ago, he's probably not that far away. And if he is, you can't do anything about it anyway, but he's probably even closer. And that, 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 that's what we want. Um, I guess with so many people interested in turkey hunting, I just wanted to say that without a doubt, and you guys didn't ask me to say this, the use of the product that you, that you do, uh, and there's lots of good ones out there. I, I just think yours worked, uh, have worked so well and continue to produce that I just feel like as important as my couple of favorite turkey guns are, or maybe that, that call that I've had since not, I've got a call that I carry. I probably shouldn't since 1985. Um, those, those decoys to me are every bit as important in my arsenal for trying to best, you know, my favorite bird of anything I carry. And it would be having that decoy and having it or decoys and having them to be where I want them to be. Um, especially for new people getting into the sport. Uh, one thing I learned early turkey hunting is, you know, you, you're going to buy the next fad because it's going gonna, it's gonna to change your luck. And especially when there weren't many turkeys. Um, I've bought and sold or bought and threw away a whole lot of things, given away a whole lot of decoys, changed my mind about a whole lot of things. This is the one thing I can say that has probably, as long as you've been making them, I've been buying them. Um, the combinations that you can put out now in Kentucky or in other states, and I've traveled, I went to Texas this year. I took mine down there. I sent you guys some pictures. Uh, it, they don't care where you are. I, I appreciate y'all are making different subspecies. That's cool. But boy, I think it's just the presentation of something that looks like it's supposed to be there. And, and then it moves and uh, it, it is more exciting, as you said. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, we, we appreciate that, Tommy. And um, so so now let's let's assume that somebody is listening that, that you know is maybe hasn't hasn't even turkey hunted yet or has tried a few times uh unsessfully and and just doesn't have a, a mentor or something like that so 
you know, what, what, and a lot of, a lot of people can only afford to buy one turkey decoy or start out with one turkey decoy, which is a good, you know, what, which is great and very effective. But so what, what would you say to a person that is like, has, has access to some property to hunt, knows there's, knows there's birds there, probably a little bit of, a little bit of pressure. They're going to buy one decoy and just basically what, what do they do? Uh, just assuming that they don't know, don't, don't really know anything. What, what's the basic instructions? Well, the basic instruction would be, um, the turkey can see you and hear you better than you will ever see or hear him. So if you can make, if you can find a call of any kind that you feel comfortable, even to make the simplest of, of turkey calls, and you can get to where you can make that sound softly or loudly, but you, you're comfortable with that particular sound that you've listened to, you've watched YouTube videos, or you've listened to, to, to sounds of turkeys, but you can come up with one type of call. Next would be, I, I know this is probably going to be disagreed with by others. I, I would probably go with your upright hen if I just had one, or I would definitely go with the three-quarter jake if I only had one. I could go with either one of those. I don't think you could go wrong. The, the upright hen, for example, by herself has been the demise of many, many fall and spring, spring birds. Fall, I could kill hens in Kentucky and jakes and gobblers. In the springtime, of course, it's gobbler only. But that hen by herself, and one thing I used to love to do is if there was some kind of weeds or something like that in a really low field, I would put my decoy right next to those, uh, that, that stand-up grass. And then I would be still. Um, I, would, I would do my best to do, like, like Brad said, scout, find out where the birds are roosted. Uh, I think getting up early and doing what you do in pitch darkness to, to decide where you're going to get back to, and that's probably something that nobody talks about is if you're going to go to a farm and you've got permission, you've made that relationship with that farmer, you know how to find your way around, not tripping and falling, not banging on gates, not running into electric fences, because we all know how that ends. Um, <laughs> but finding your way to where you're going to make your setup. And if I knew, guys, the number of times that I've laid in the bed and thought about walking to where I'm going to set up that next morning, I, I'd like to know how many times I've done that. But but I've done that a lot. So setting up with that decoy out where it can be seen and being still and being patient and trying not to call to be heard to the next county. If you've spent any time around turkey hens, they're not a real loud bird. And then of course, sometimes they are. I heard the worst turkey call the other day until it, until it walked out of the side of the field and it was on two legs with, with that were pink. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was a hen and, and they could be really, really loud. But this is a sport to where, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to scare birds. You're going to do things. You're going to say, man, I'd love to have that back. But that's the beauty of it. The decoy itself is going to fix that bird's attention on something other than you. And that's a beautiful thing, especially maybe it's just a hen or a jake you don't want to shoot. And it comes right in and you get to see a wild turkey up close who's fixated uh, on the decoy that you've put out and not about maybe you blinking because they, they can't see you blink. Yeah, I love that approach, um, which it, it sounds like is very similar to mine in that I, I almost I set up in places that tur turkeys are already going because they're, they're creatures of habit. They tend to be in the same places day after day at the same time, um, more or less. And I um, I like to put my decoy somewhere, like you said, that's, that's visible next to somewhere where I can hide 
right. you know, because hiding from turkeys is an absolute must. They have insanely good vision and, and they'll pick you out. Um, movement is just the kiss of death. You got to be still, you got to be well concealed and, um, you know, make sure that, that that bird is in range before you, you know, make your, your move to, um, you know, get your gun up or, right. or draw your bow right. and, and be patient. Let that bird engage your decoys. You know, they don't always come running up to your, your decoy, um, and start flogging it right away. Like you said, a lot of times they'll come in and I'm pecking at the ground and kind of gradually getting closer. And, you know, there'll be times when you're like, Oh man, is he leaving? Is he leaving? Should I shoot now? Should I shoot now? Just try to stay calm. The bird's not going anywhere as long as its head's not up and it's, you know, and it's not, um, putting, um, you know, let that bird, let that bird work the decoys and get comfortable. And a lot of times they will go engage them once they get close enough. And, and once their attention is focused on the decoy, that's the time Absolutely. to make your move. Absolutely. Uh, if in my day, when I first started, I had a stack of Turkey magazines. So I was a Turkey magazine nerd and, and, you know, you could read about it, but it was so different in, in today. Gosh, you, you can get online and you can watch turkeys in the decoys. If I was, if I was just starting out, I would get on YouTube and I would start looking at all these different videos people have filmed. Watch turkeys come into the spread. Watch turkey, watch their body posture. What, do they come in? Are they focused? What do they do when they stop and raise their head and they, they, they cross their wings over their back and kind of shake? If you're going to do something, you better be doing it soon when they do that. Uh, do they ever seem startled? Uh, do they ever uh, work themselves into walking in. You know, I, I killed one last year and he was taking his time coming to the spread. But when he got closer, he started running. Now, when there's a big bird coming at you running, I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, where you are, or what you're doing. That's awesome. <laughs> and when he got there, he just, he kicked my DSD out of the ground. I sent Richard a video he kicked the motion box out of the ground, pulled all four of the, of the screws out of the ground, and he weighed 26 pounds. He was a big mm. Kentucky hoss cat. And I'll never forget that 20 seconds. I'll never forget that whole three minutes mm -hmm. because I only called him twice. I made a call on a box, and he came from two or 300 yards across the plowed field and ran the last 30 yards. I couldn't get the gun up fast enough until he was already assaulting Mr. Three Quarter Jake. So it, it's just it's just so cool to to get to watch them interact with the decoys. And and like you said, why why use a decoy? Because more fun. <laughs> it's a lot more fun. <laughs> you know, uh, one thing that that we all all three have in common is we all love waterfowl hunting. I know Tommy, you you love duck and goose hunting like crazy mm -hmm. too. And you know, and I think, I think waterfowl hunting has taught, taught us all a lot about, you know, being patient and, uh, being, being, uh, you know, taking, taking risks. Like if, a, if, if birds are working and you're going to, you're going to let them come in and if they, and if it doesn't work and they fly away, it's, it's not the end of the world. No. And I think some of that, some of that patience, you know, helps us with turkey hunting too. Right. I, I just, I have a, I have it, I have it written somewhere. It says patience kills the turkey. 
uh, it, it's not a Bible verse, but if, 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 you know, it could be. So it's, it's just so important that if things aren't right, you can't make them right. And you all know what I mean. If you've, you all bow hunt or gun hunt for turkeys and they just will not, they will not cooperate. There's nothing much you can do about that. But when it is right and you are in the right place, patience is oftentimes the one thing you can credit yourself not to be in a rush. When the birds approach the decoys, learning to read their body posture. Are they totally focused on what they're getting ready to come in and kick? Are they cautious? Are they looking around for danger? Because like you said, we don't have mountain lions here unless you talk to the right people. But uh, we, we have lots and lots of coyotes. We have lots and lots of those. So, you know, we, we see a lot of coyotes. There's something after a turkey almost all the time. And, and what's so cool about it here in Kentucky is um, there's pretty much huntable flocks from one end of the state to the other. There's a lot of people chasing them. But for the new people that might want to get into the sport, you can get permission. You can get permission by knowing people that have land that you already have a relationship with. And if you don't have a relationship with them, someone you do have a relationship with does. Um, yeah. Taking young people, taking young people to scout, talking to farmers. I, I have a farmer who would just as soon I never killed another turkey. But if I bring a kid, I could kill a hundred because he wants to see kids enjoy hunting. And I think there's a lot of people like that. If you're interested in working with a young person and expose them to the sport, you're going to have a lot of doors open for you. Not to mention the fact you're going to ensure that the sport outlasts you like it's like it needs to. Because, you know, we're not all going to be around here forever. Um, if we don't help young people, uh, I guess my only fear as an educator, uh, I've got a lot of them when it comes to young people. But, you know, getting up before daylight and going out when everybody else is asleep and, and thinks you're crazy to go and do what we all love to do with an old turkey. Um, if we don't pass that on, just like the ducks and the geese and the deer, if we don't pass that on to young people, there won't be anybody doing it when we quit. And that's that's a terrible thing because of all the unintentional and secondary repercussions that'll occur without those young people becoming just as passionate about it as we are now. Maybe not as passionate as you guys are, but uh, passionate as I am. It's, uh, it's something we absolutely have to do if we really, really love what we do in the spring. And, and if you've never taken a young kid out, especially if it's their first turkey hunting experience, um, it, you might find that you have more fun than they do watching them get their first bird. Um, this season during the, uh, the youth weekend, I was fortunate enough to take uh, two young hunters out, um, a couple good friends of, of mine, um, Holden Setnicker on opening morning um, Saturday you know, he, he got really excited. We had called two Jakes. They came running into the decoys and, you know, he got, he got turkey fever and he shot and he missed three times. And, and he's a, this kid's a great shot. He did mm -hmm. a lot of goose hunting with us this year. So I know it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because he, he, he couldn't hit him. He just got so excited. And even, even though he missed, it was a great experience. And, um, you know, I, I got to relive right. a lot of my childhood right. experiences awesome. through him. Yeah. And um, we were fortunate enough to move to another property that afternoon. And I watched him get his first Tom. Awesome. Um, and I can't tell you what a what a thrill that was. You know, I think my heart was racing. 
those those we had five long beards come full strut mm. left their hens came right up to the posturing jake and um you know i had told holden to work on his breathing and be patient take a deep breath before you pull the trigger and make sure your head's down on the gun and he made a perfect shot and it was just awesome. it was incredible and then the very next morning um we took another friend out brooklyn pfeiffer and she killed her first turkey and awesome. i tell you it, those two of the half dozen or so we've killed so far this 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 season um those two are the best those are the most exciting Mm -hmm. i I, did you just think about all the things that a young person learns about themselves that it's okay to fail that it's okay to get excited and and fellas i'll tell you what i would offer that if we do things that don't make us as excited as this does what are we doing i mean i know some things you have to do but Watching a kid do what you just described, seeing the looks on their faces when they—it it just seems impossible. It can't be done, and then it happens, and then there's the picture, and then the smile that will not go away, and then they tell the story, and you're standing there listening to them tell the story, and you know that story is going to be there for a while because stories are what life's all about. Yep. You know, another thing, Tommy, that uh, that you're kind of famous for, and it's it's just so, so, so important. And that is um, besides, you know, mentoring these kids and, and taking them on, uh, the, you know, these hunts where they get this great experience, but also teaching them about, you know, ethics and uh, taking care of the resource and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, if they don't have anybody to teach them that, I mean, we've all we've all ran into hunters and fishermen that have definitely not had that. And right. so that's just super, super important. Yes. I, I, I think back and I'll, I'll, I'll mention him again. I'll mention Charlie when I was 14 years old, uh, we went down and he supplied all the clothes and the gun and the shells. And I knew he knew what he was doing, but I had no clue, man. I just thought we were going to duck hunting. And I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. But you know what we talked about? We talked about ethics. We talked about the law. We talked about why we talked about why not we had, we became best friends and we're still best friends today. Um, many, many years later. And, you know, we have an opportunity as sportsmen for the stuff that we love outdoors, not to let anyone be confused about what a real hunter or a real sportsman is. And that's someone who passes it on to the next generation. And I would even challenge anybody. And I know that you, you've got some customers that are just absolutely fantastic at their craft with turkeys and deer and, and waterfowl and you all make great products and you've got these great guests and I'm a nobody, but here, here's, here's, here's what I think has to be. If we don't take it upon ourselves to say this season, I am going to promise myself that I am going to take and introduce somebody to this sport. And if I don't do that, you might have lots of great pictures and you might have lots of trophies to put up later or take to the taxidermist. I would say you're watching your sport die if you're not doing your part. And, and we can't afford that with as many people that are negative toward what we do. We've got to have that nice, um, uh, professional, positive, wholesome truth of what hunting really is. It's a part of God's creation. Uh, as, a, as a believer in Christ, I'm just telling you, uh, I think his creation plays out in front of me every time I go out in, in his creation. And I absolutely win or lose on today's turkey hunt or tomorrow's whatever hunt, I get to see it manifested and how awesome his creation is. We've got to pass that on to young people. They've got to be understanding it's a lot more awesome 
than what they're going to see staring at that telephone. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, one there is one one other aspect of hunting that I would like to cover because I know that you know somebody listening might might want to know about, and I probably would would uh, present this question to both both of you guys, and that is, uh, what about the situation? What is what is the what is the the process or the instructions for um, if if you do go about it by trying to locate a bird the night before and then setting up on it the next morning uh, before daylight? I mean, to, first, Tommy, I guess what's what's your what's your system or what's your basic instructions on how to do that? Well, I loved what Brad said about being where they want to be. If I've spent the amount of hours in to determine what those birds are doing, where might they pass by? Where do they like to strut? When they fly down, where do they usually go? Where do the hens possibly want to go to feed? I'm going to put myself there. And I am a big believer in if you can do things in the dark, do them in the dark. I've killed a lot of birds because I didn't turn a light on. I don't know that if I had to turn a light on, I still wouldn't have killed them. But I can say that I ended up getting a lot closer to a roosted bird than I meant to. Uh, Charlie and I set up on a roosted bird once, and it flew out of the tree and landed right in front of us. And I mean in front of us. And we didn't have a light on that morning. I wondered about that. Waiting till they start gobbling, keeping everything soft on the call, and absolutely no movement until you catch that motion out of the corner of your eye. You probably have some idea of where he's going to be coming from. If not, welcome to turkey hunting because he came from behind you. And do yep. you do you do some like soft soft yelps or anything like that? Um, like well, I if do. they're gobbling on the I roost? do. Uh, my favorite thing to do is a couple of a couple of, of, uh, of a couple of cuts, that, 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 and then just a really soft tree call. And if I get him to gobble at that, I usually don't call again. I don't call again unless I think he's doing something else. Because a lot of times, especially with where I used to hunt in a more open area in Central Kentucky, if he'll answer you on the roost and there's not a lot of other hens in the area, that little that little cut and then a couple of uh, tree yelps. If he cuts you off. You need to put your call down. You need to be still because <laughs> it's about to get happening. <laughs> it's, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening soon. And it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. What about you, Brad? What's, what's your, what's your system? I agree with everything that uh, Tommy just said. Um, the one thing I would add is in my experience, proximity is really important. Um, proximity of the bird on the roost. I try to get as absolutely close as I possibly can and, you know, I try to study the terrain and anticipate where that bird is going to fly down to uh, when he leaves the limb. And I try to position myself as close as I possibly can without getting too close to the bird. And I've found that, you know, depending on how open the woods are, um, a, a hundred yards is a pretty good starting point. Sometimes if it's thicker, you can get a little closer um, if it's more open, then you might have to be a little more conservative and back off a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I like to get, I like to get good, good and close. And, and the, the only and, thing I would, I would add to that my, myself, I guess, is, um, it seems like now, uh, I, I'm, I'm not famous for getting up super, super, super early. Um, but it does seem like kind of the earlier, the better, it seems like if you're, there's quite a bit of difference. And if you have to move around in the woods, um, I mean, we've, we've done elk calls and we've done 
deer grunt calls before and stuff like that to sort of try to sound like something natural. But it does seem like uh, there's a big difference between an hour before daylight and moving around in the woods and and 10 minutes before daylight while moving around in the woods. It seems like birds are much more relaxed if it's more like the middle of the night. Yeah, it seems like they have a tendency almost to just forget what happened. You know, if you're stepping on, uh, you know, limbs and, and kicking pine cones at an hour before they fly down versus 10 minutes before they fly down, I completely agree. Yeah, and, and, it, I, and it happens in real life, you know, like they, they have. Right, yeah, things move at night. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I remember being surprised. I always thought that if you started gobbling, at least I didn't screw up that bad, you know. And I have been really close to a bird unaware and maybe broke a stick. And, you know, you go, God, I didn't want to break that stick. I didn't want to make that noise. So you settle in against this tree that you're going to start from. And then he gobbles. And then, he, you know, you may see the bird. You may even get a shot at the bird. But the point is, is that they are used to things walking through the through the woods at night. Uh, lots of things. And, uh, you know, I don't try to forget that something's trying to kill these things just about as soon as they can fly out from underneath their mother's wings up into the tree for their first few days of life. Uh, something's after a turkey every day of its life. Yep. Yep, that's true for sure. And uh, I'm curious as to what your take is, since I know you've done both. How is your setup different, or or is it or is it the same? How would you approach well, <laughs> a setup with a gun versus a bow? I would say that, you know, when I start when I started using a bow, I set uh, it's like a magic distance. I set my three quarter Jake or Jake Strutter or whatever I'm using to my centerpiece in my setup. Uh, I set that at 13 yards. And somebody will say, well, that's crazy. That's too close. Well, I'm shooting at a grapefruit or smaller. Uh, I want to shoot the grapefruit. And I've got a much better shot at shooting the grapefruit at 13 yards. So when I go back to gun, uh, I, I'll forget. And maybe I'll put the Jake Strutter or the three-quarter Jake at 15 yards. And, uh, and, and, I, and I like the whole love triangle concept, uh, a feeder hen and an upright hen on a 45-degree angle, maybe the breeder hen on the ground in front of the uh, – Jake Strutter or the three-quarter Jake in the mornings early in the year. Then I'll go with just uh, an upright hen with the Jake, the three-quarter Jake right behind it. Um, with a bow, I have I really believe that I like to offset my decoys because so many times, unless the gobbler comes in to do bodily harm to the Jake, the worst you can get by with is he'll come and posture himself right beside it. That's how I've shot the Jake a couple of times. Um, so if my hand's in the way, I sometimes don't get a shot, and I've learned that the hard way. Um, I, I, I'd much rather set the decoys close. And again, um, I, I may not have killed the birds you guys have killed, but I'm going to tell you, the experience to me, I'll go back to what I started with. Um, I'm Tommy Floyd, and I really like to get up early and chase spring turkeys. And I do that because it's a beautiful thing. And if I get to shoot one, great. If I don't get to shoot one, but I get to see one, just to know that I'm part of the game. I'm part of God's creation out there, the natural order of things, the pecking order of the gobbler group, the hierarchy of the hens until they go on the nest, catching that hen coming off during the day to feed a little bit before she goes back to the nest. All that stuff keeps me coming back. Those 10 to 20 seconds, those are awesome 10 to 20 seconds. 
but it's the whole piece. It can't be just about the beards and the tail fans and the mounts and the pictures. It, to me, it's about getting out there and capturing it. If my, if my spread brings them in close, it was worth doing, worth doing. And some of the experiences that you get with other wildlife um, makes it every bit as much worthwhile as the, as the pursuit of the turkey itself. You know, listening, Absolutely. listening to the spring woods come back to life Ooh. and, you know, getting to experience the spring weather, all of that is, is a part of it that's just all wrapped into what we do. Love it. Love it. I had a big Angus bull. A big Angus bull that I don't think was real docile. Um, there was a gobbler hanging out with these three black Angus bulls. And I called the field. I eventually killed that bird. And I called him the bull trough gobbler because I killed him in front of a bull trough made out of concrete. And a big old black Angus bull right before daylight stuck his whole head and neck in my blind in the window. And, <laughs> and you know why I let him do that? Because I couldn't do anything about it anyway. And I was hoping he wasn't just going to run through me, but he just kind of snorted and moved my hat back on my head. And then he just kind of eased away and laid down. I was really grateful he didn't do more than that. But you're exactly right. Besides, huh. for the for the new turkey hunter, you're going to get to see things that you are not hunting, that you are not going to get to see because you are still and you are quiet and you are a part of nature. You're not just somebody driving by looking at a car window. You're part of the problem. You're part of the situation going on. Boy, that, that reminds me of a couple experiences. One is on a solo hunt. I was hunting in the foothills of the Cascades, and uh, I, I had my camera with me because I was going to try to try to film, and I was bow hunting out of a ground blind. And uh, it was either a female cougar or a young <coughs> male gosh. just came stro- you know, strolling by in the woods, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to get a, you know, footage of a, <laughs> of a cougar attacking the decoys. And I called a couple times, and that – that cougar absolutely just completely ignored me. I couldn't believe it. Wow. But Brad, do you remember the time that you and I, we were hunting on this big dairy and it, they, they had, they had a bull that was a free, free ranging with the cows in it. They, they weren't Holsteins. Like they were uh, jerseys or Guernseys or Brown Swiss or something like that. And that bull was absolutely terrifying like that thing <laughs> you and I were in the blind and that thing was just screaming. And it was like, it was like 10 yards from us and it could smell us and it knew we were around somewhere and it was just losing its mind. And I, I like, I thought we were going to die. <laughs> I, I, I love cows. And so much of, so much of my turkey hunting has been around cows. And you know, you've got, you've got the, 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 the awesome looking meadow that goes between the two ridges and you go up through there and you find an outside curve somewhere and you put your blind and you set your decoys up and you set your arrow and you lay your bow down and you, you get set and then you've got 30 cows and they all want to come and see what's wrong with the decoy that's in front of your blind. Or sometimes you get lucky and they don't even, they don't even pay any attention to you. Um, I've had several turkeys that have used cows for cover. They've tried to come to the decoy, but encountered the cows and move around. And I'll tell you, if you're a new person to, to turkey hunting, making sure that you're very deliberate and very safe around cows is something that will allow you to continue to come to that property. Farmers do not want to have a discussion about something negative that happened to a cow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Boy, that's a whole nother topic. I mean, but that's super important as <laughs> yes, to, uh, it is. to, you know, to, to talk about, uh, 
how important it is to just respect the properties like crazy and just make you know like like we are we just shower shower these these people, landowners with gifts if they're nice nice enough to let us hunt and then right. just absolutely make sure that you just don't don't dig or litter or leave fences open or anything absolutely like I, I think i think that's probably a good show for itself and i think how to get and maintain landowner permission i have people who actually call me for waterfowl or turkey and say hey this is happening. Well, that's the kind of call you want to get, especially when you're a snow goose guy and they call you from another state and say, Hey, Tommy, they're here. You know, you've got a relationship with that person. And what I found in 30 some years of doing it is that they're just as excited to have a role in it as you are. And they like someone that they know they can trust. They like telling the story with their friends over coffee. They've got these guys from Washington or Oregon or California, in my case, Kentucky, and they come out every year and they're really nice guys and we have a good time. You know, they like to tell that story. That's the kind of story you want to build if you're going to be a successful uh, outdoorsman. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so let's get, let's get back to some of the ABCs, if you will, of, okay. of, of turkey hunting um, with decoys. And, you know, one of the things that that I like to reiterate is just how important concealment is. And, um, you know, in today's day and age, there's some great ground blinds available, but not everybody can afford or has the luxury of being able to hunt out of a ground blind. And so, you know, natural blinds is kind of the, the alternative to, um, to the ground blind. It's more, uh, you know, um, more or less, I would say it's, it's a greater challenge for sure, because you don't have the luxury of being concealed, you know, by this great big pop-up blind. So, Mm -hmm. um, what in your experience are, are some of the things to do the do's and don'ts of, of hunting on at the ground level with a natural setup, Tommy? Well, the natural setup for me was, was all I knew. I didn't have any blind. I didn't have a blind. My, my duck gun was the same as was my turkey gun. So, um, I remember buying my first real turkey gun, and of course, you know, it was it was camo, and I was camo, tried to be camo. Um, I learned that if I was not careful, bird would gobble. I would look behind me, try to look for something to get around. I would get against the base of the tree. I'd set my cushion out. I'd, I'd get as comfortable as I could. And oftentimes, I put myself where I was going to have limited visibility if the bird came in from here or if the bird came in from there. I think it's incredibly important, and I'm sorry, but you're only going to learn it from experience, is if you're going to quickly respond to a gobbling turkey and you're going to look for a place to sit, it's better to take just a second to look at your peripherals to make sure that something's not blocking your view. Now, with that said, sometimes it's great to have some things for that turkey that he has to he has to get past because by the time he gets past those things, he's in killable range. But making sure that when you first sit down with natural cover that's available. You don't sit too far out in the open, but you don't sit too far back. Many, 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 many times, uh, turkeys have, have, have simply walked away because I couldn't see them. I couldn't see them to shoot them. And I was the guy that, that picked the spot. So that makes me the goof, I guess. But the turkey was just doing what the turkey did. He came in looking for the hen, and I put myself in a place I couldn't shoot. Mm-hmm. I'm great at that. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave, what would you add to that? Well, 
I mean, I just I holding still makes makes you pretty much invisible. Like I I I found that with deer and turkeys and everything like that. I mean, good good camo helps for sure, but just nothing nothing right. beats holding still. And so if you right. set yourself up to be comfortable, like if you're sitting if you're sitting on the ground uh, directly on the ground and you're it's a you know hard ground it's rocky or something like that and you're having to you know you're getting sore and stuff like that and you're having to reposition yourself or turn your head like that's that's just a kind of a disaster so be super super comfortable where you can just hold hold really still and and if you can <laughs> don't fall asleep um and <laughs> that helps a lot they make some really good chairs now i remember some really bad chairs they used to make because that's what i carried and and they make some some really good comfortable chairs as Dave said, they can get they can get too comfortable because you want to go to sleep. But I think being comfort, having comfort when you get still. Uh, if I'm going to be out with just a cushion and a decoy, because I'm going to have a decoy, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's just how I'm going to do it. So the ability to not have something poking you in your glute or your hamstring or something as you're trying to be still, uh, you can't do anything about insects. So you just have to learn that. That's a new talent uh, when they fly into your mask. Um, snakes that crawl up close to you, I'll have to leave that up to what kind of snake it is. Um, different things that can cause you to move. I, I've had turkeys that walk up, I had a hen walk up to me out on Buck Creek in Pulaski County, and I really think that she was playing a game with me, and I know she wasn't, but it seemed like it. She walked directly in front of me, she put herself in front of my gun barrel about 15 yards, and she just stood there and stared at me. She knew something was there, she knew something was wrong, she didn't know what it was. She didn't putt, but you know, finally she did because an ant crawled down my nose, crawled across my eyelash, and, <laughs> and she was looking at me. And finally, I, I just, I just had to move. I mean, um, and she putted and flew. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what. Her, I don't know what what issue. I, I did run across a blind turkey. Must have been blind on one side because I had a hen in, in Rockcastle County, and the hen came right up to me. And I reached up and I did everything I could to see if she would see me because there was nothing else around. And it was a, it was a fall situation. And I reached up to my hat bill and pulled it down. And she still didn't see me. She turned her head to look the other way and knew that something was wrong and immediately putted and flew. So I, I wondered if she had a vision issue on one side. I, 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 that They fascinate me. So I'm, I'm a nerd that way. Hmm. Uh, another thing that's super important is um, don't, like if you go on a trip, uh, don't forget your camo socks so that you have to wear white socks. Like I've heard of people doing that before. Uh, <laughs> and that's, it was actually me that did that. And, uh, that's a, put yourself in a, at a disadvantage right off the bat. Absolutely. And so a few things I would add to that is, um, you know, I like to try to hide in the shadows whenever possible. Um, uh, and, and out of the direct sunlight as much as possible. Um, and, you know, I always try to put some vegetation between me in the direction the bird is approaching. And even if I can get a little bit between me and the decoys, that's always a, a plus to, to break my human form up. You know, once the, the bird moves into an open lane where I can get a shot, it's still nice to have a little vegetation. Granted, it's going to have to be down low enough to where you're still going to be able to, you know, clear your gun barrel or your, or your bow sight, um, but I try to use natural vegetation as much as possible. And sometimes if you don't have vegetation, you know, 
right there at the base of the tree, then maybe, um, you know, I, I like to carry a, a pair of pruning shears with Snippers, me uh-huh. and you might, you know, clip a few limbs down or grab a log and drag it in front of um, your tree before you sit down. And um, getting back to what you said, Dave, comfort is so important. And like you said, Tommy, they make some really comfortable lounge chairs that sit Oh, just three or four inches off the ground. And, mm-hmm. and I've, um, I've invested in one myself and I bought a few extras for, um, you know, guests. Uh, guests I bring along, especially the kids, you know, and you just have to be ready to sit for an extended period of time and you gotta be comfortable so that you're not constantly shifting around because movement is, is an absolute, you know, killer. I'm, I'm amazed at what they can see. Um, I've had them peek at, I've had them peek out at me from behind trees, gobblers that were coming in, but they were coming in cautious. They were coming in cautious, I think, because they were either scared earlier or they were just, they were just on high alert. And it doesn't take much movement. It only takes a slow turn of the head. And he, he goes from interested in finding you to try not to jet out of there as fast as he can. I mean, they just have no tolerance for it. And I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how little you can get away with, especially if it's a mature Tom. And even if he comes into that decoy, sometimes he still comes in and has that radar dish running full speed. Yep. And you know, another thing is, um, getting back to turkeys being creatures of habits. A lot of times they're, you know, they're more or less, they, they fly down off the roost and, and their, their pattern is more or less the same day after day. They're going through the same areas and they're very, very familiar and keen to their surroundings. And so, um, you know, I was watching a show just yesterday, in fact, called my life as a Turkey. And it's a, it's a documentary about a guy down in North Florida who raises a clutch of wild turkeys and he spends every day for, I can't remember if it was a, a year or two years with this clutch of birds. And uh-huh. um, it's fascinating what it's he a learns great from them. And yep. it, it is, it's absolutely, um, it's incredible. It's an eye opener. And one of the things that he mentions is in, in his daily walks with these birds, how keen they are to, um, you know, to anything that's new, uh, whether it's a, um, you know, a down, a down tree, they approach it with caution. It wasn't there the last time they came through. So, you know, even if you're being perfectly still, it's really normal for a bird to approach your, your blind um, with caution. Right. So um, in, in there, again, that's another, um, that's another thing that decoys can do from you, for you is to give them a, a certain level of reassurance that everything is okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, everything is, is, is safe. And, and, you know, if you, you have your decoys out in front of your, um, in front of your, your blind, that helps take their attention away from, from you and focus it toward your decoys. You know, I, I have something else to add about, um, if anyone is going to hide in a blind, especially a new, a new turkey hunter. So, um, the, the most, you know, everybody wears black on the inside of a blind and, and that's fine, but you can, it can actually, it can actually hurt you a little bit if, if, 
uh, if you don't, if you're not completely covered in black. So what I see a lot of people do is wear like a, a black shirt and then a black head net uh, or, or face mask. And, and it will have the, the entire, um, the entire face open, like the whole eye, eye hole open. And so what that's, what that does is now, now you've got a light face against a black background mm -hmm. and you've created this, this oval of this, of this light. And so you've got this massive contrast there. And so now every bit of movement is actually, it's actually accentuated now. And, and I, I swear in some of those cases, you'd almost would have been better to not, to just wear a camo shirt and, and nothing. Um, and that's just one thing that, and I've, I've learned that one the hard way. I've, I've made that mistake myself and it's, it's actually made it hard for me to draw my bow or, or move my head or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's, if you're going to wear black, that's great, but cover up your, as much of your face as you possibly can. And even then I don't even open my eyes wide, wide open. I open them just enough to, to be able to see, you know, right. yeah. I, I, and, and I, for clarification, Dave, you're talking about hunting out of a pop-up blind in that scenario, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and so while we're talking about pop-up blinds, um, I'm interested to know, um, you know, if your experience has been, what your experience has been in terms of where you, you place that, that blind, are you setting it out in the open or are you trying to conceal it on a, maybe a tree line? I had the opportunity to hunt a lot of cattle farms. And so I tried everything. I've, I've set it up in the wide open field. I, I love to set it up inside an open gate you know, a gate that birds naturally travel through on, on a, in a pasture somewhere, just inside that next field. Especially if I've done what you described, Brad, I've watched her, I've watched her travel. I know sort of when they come and when they go. Uh, my favorite, favorite blind setup of all is an outside corner in a field somewhere that has a, has a corner where it makes a break and, and, and that, that corner is the, the furthest projection of the tree line out in that field, even if it's a really, really big field. I love to sit on that corner and then put my decoys out in front of me a little further, 13, 14, 15 yards out into that field um, with some motion because they can be seen from two and 300 yards like the bird I referred to earlier last year in the evening. He came from forever because he saw my little three decoys spread out there in the field. And I was on that outside corner and uh, uh, he just, he loved it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, actually, I just, I just set up some blinds uh, last week. I have two, two people in my life that I, I want to help them get turkeys really bad. One of them just lost a family member, and he's, he's kind of down and depressed and kind of mad that he's going to miss turkey season. So I'm trying to take over a little bit and try to make a, a guided hunt. And another one is a friend of mine who has just helped me so, so, so much. Uh, with fly fishing for steelhead, he's just put me uh, so many years ahead of where I would have been without him. And he's just really, really, really interested in turkey turkey hunting. Mm -hmm. He killed his first bird last year, a Jake, um, and he, he he snuck up on it with a shotgun. And it's just it's you know here this guy is he's honestly one of the best fishermen on the planet. He's just un unbelievable what he can do. And uh, but it's just so exciting to hear him talk about turkey hunting because he's you know, he's just kind of at, at, at the beginning of it all. And I just, I want so badly to, to help him, uh, kill, you know, I want him to see that the show, uh, and, 
and the balancing act, as you put it, Tommy, and stuff. So hopefully, hopefully this week or this weekend, uh, we can make all that happen. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Nothing like taking somebody. Uh, I, I just think it's so meaningful between the two of you. If you get to see somebody experience that, it's so cool. Yeah. Hey, speaking of that, uh, we're we're kind of we're kind of uh, running running out of time here. But can you? I I really feel like we've we've given uh, or you you Tommy all of us maybe have given some good advice, uh, and we appreciate it so much. But can you tell us uh, about the National Archery and Schools program oh, I, I, and a little bit about to. that? Um, I was a third or fourth year principal, the 2003, and I learned of the National Archery and Schools program coming to Kentucky. Um, I agreed as a bow hunter. Uh, I got my best friend uh, Joel to help me, and we started uh, we started working uh, at, at Somerset High School there, and we had a team that started. and I guess what I wasn't prepared for was the archery and the instruction was fantastic. The safety, uh, it, it was just really well done. We went to the training and all. Um, I, I saw what learning to shoot a bow did for the kids that do it. Now, go down the road so many years later, um, I, when I retired in 2015 from education, uh, NASP asked me to come on board um, as the vice president. My president just retired and I've become the president in the last month or so. The thing that, that makes us, I think, just wonderful is we're the largest archery, youth archery organization in the world. We're looking now right before COVID started, which has been a lot of fun for us. Uh, somewhere around 9,000 schools, about 1.3 million kids involved, 47 states uh, uh, that are in our program in the United States, several Canadian provinces. It, it is teaching Olympic-style archery or, or bullseye archery. We now have a 3D branch with our friends at, the, at IBO. We have a tournament in Louisville that has 15,000 kids almost in attendance. We're doing a virtual tournament now because of COVID, not having the nationals in Louisville, Eastern nationals. We have 13,000 kids signed up. I mean, this thing is in schools all across America. And, and I could talk about this for two hours. And, and I'm just saying that if you're in grades four through 12 and your school does not have NASP, National Archery in the Schools program, you can get on online at naspschools.org. You can learn how to bring it to your school or you can contact me because I'm on there and I'll help you find your state coordinator so you can get it started. We require an in-school lesson. And the reason we do that, Dave and Brad and Scott, is because we know that we don't just want to preach to the choir. We don't just want to go after the kids whose dad is an archer. As awesome as that is, we want to go after the guys and the gals. And we're about evenly 50-50 with gender, male and female. We want to go after the kid that's probably never going to shoot a bow and arrow. Those are the kids in my time with NAS, but I've seen fall in love with it, learn to master the bow and arrow, then they learn to master themselves. We, we, we have so many stories talking to parents and grandparents about what archery provided their child or grandchild as a way to connect with their school, become motivated in the classroom, learn to do something they can do for the rest of their life, and many of them, many of them start bow hunting, branch out and do other archery after high school. We, we have a fun job. <laughs> it's a fun yeah, thing. That's, that's spectacular. That's awesome. 
And we yeah. and we 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 love what we do. We've got a we've got a really great board. Uh, we've got a really great team. Uh, there's there's a whopping eight of us uh, on the team, and and they're scattered out all over. Uh, NASP started as a as a partnership between the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, uh, Matthews Archery, and and the Kentucky Department of Education, and uh, it's just been something in, that I did not see coming. That has been such a, a rich addition to my life. Just as you guys well know, the kind of people who support kids shooting bows and arrows is pretty positive. Um, COVID has been really, really difficult because so many schools were out and couldn't gather, they couldn't practice, they couldn't use common materials. But as that thing is getting ready to lose its grip, thanks for, thanks to the vaccine, we're hopeful, hoping to come back. We've got an in-person event in June in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So we're hoping that registration goes well and the kids are getting back. And then we hope that the, the fall of 2021 has some normalcy to it. Uh, I've hated it for these last two years, seniors, because their their year has been so different. But uh, you can find us online, naspschools.org. We love what we do for kids and the educators that work with them. Uh, we do think it, it opens up doors for kids to find the outdoor lifestyle. We've got some tremendous sponsors and people who've gotten behind us. Uh, we love to be good stewards of, of putting whatever money they put directly to schools. And uh, you guys have got some cool stuff going on out there in your area. Um, there's there's NAFs going on, but there could always be more. Absolutely. What a great program. Yeah, it's, uh, now we got to, you know, I, I'm sure that you run into, you know, states like Oregon, uh, that's extremely left left leaning leaning unfortunately that are probably probably terrified of the idea of kids with bows in their hands uh, we, we've got some in Oregon I uh, matter of fact a good friend of mine Mark who lives out in Oregon he lives out in Portland uh, he, he, he's he killed two turkeys in two days with his bow he's sending me pictures now and uh, Mark was Mark was the president at Easton archery and Easton has been such a huge supporter of our family or of our family of, of archers all across the United States. But yeah, he's, there's some good things going on in Oregon. There's some good things going on you know, in lots of places. We've got a new coordinator in California. Uh, Washington has now hired a new coordinator. Uh, we're using their old coordinator in a role with our organization now. We're really happy with her. Um, you know, if you, if, if, if you think about it, it, it's a great way. NASP is a great way for those people that love to do what we love to do to find a nice, safe way to introduce kids at their local school to the sport of archery. And that's what makes it so enticing for educators is, you know, I got into it purely because I love to shoot a bow. I had a bow when I was nine years old. Um, it was a light blue fiberglass Indian, and I wished I still had it. But um, what this thing does for kids in the classroom, what this thing does for kids interpersonally is what keeps me energized just hearing stories about what it's done for kids inside. And, and that's, that's just really powerful. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's really cool. Tommy, we, we all appreciate you, you doing that and uh, everybody that's involved with that. So, um, well, listen, we've, we, we certainly appreciate your time and your insight and this has been absolutely great. And, uh, we just uh, appreciate it so much and we appreciate you using our decoys and everything, Tommy. 
Well, I, I'm I'm humbled, fellas. I'm a I'm a nobody when it comes to this game, and you've got some outstanding mm-hmm. people that I've listened to over the weeks on your podcast, and there's some tremendous outdoors folks out there, men and women that love what we do. So, um, I I'm tickled to death that you responded to to what you asked for, and, and I sent you some thoughts, and and you contacted me. I I'm just so humbled because I've been such a fan for a long time, and and, and Dave, you I love to tell the story about my hen's head coming off, and you you fixing it and sending it back to me. So, uh, <laughs> well, I, re- I remember that because I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to bug the shop. You know, I, I work, I work out of my home, uh-huh. uh, a pretty good distance from the shop. And I get a lot of those projects like that, where I just don't even want to tell the shop. I don't, you know, they're, they're busy and they're on a timeline and stuff like that. So a lot, so a lot of those projects, I just have people send them right to my house, fix and that's them, what I them turn yeah. around and, say, yeah, and send them that's sent cool. back. And that's you know, cool. That's cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a great memory, and I'm again very grateful to you all. Thanks for what you do. Uh, thanks for making a great product, and 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 I enjoy the podcast. This will probably be my least favorite because I'll I'll sound so silly on it, but um, you keep me you keep me interested, and I'm uh, I'm wishing you guys the best. May God bless you all, and good health and safety, and and uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of DSD Hunting Podcast. Um, we'd really appreciate you helping us grow this podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or even just share on social media. Uh, that goes a long ways. We'd love the chance to keep bringing fresh content. So if you don't already, follow us, Dave Smith Decoys, on Instagram and Facebook for updates on new episodes. We'll have opportunities for customers to get involved too with the conversation and ask questions. So keep an eye out every Friday for new episodes. And thank you so much for all your support and for listening to us.